0: And they said, look, everything you're telling me about what Sailplane can do with real-time cameras and thermal imaging and fuel consumption is great. I wanna measure my real world emissions. And I was like, well, don't you have a sensor for that? They're like, no. I was like, okay, I think we can do that. Welcome to the OPERATE Podcast, where we give you a behind the scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate.
1: Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by BankTech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. BankTech identifies leading products and technologies for community banks and works with the founders and management teams to maximize the impact for community banks and their businesses. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in the future or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to BankTech Ventures, at banktechventures.com. My guest today is a fantastic entrepreneur, Jacob Rutenbeek. He is the founder and CEO of SailPlan. It's a startup in the commercial maritime industry. Definitely not an area that I have historically had much expertise in, but thanks to Jacob, I have learned a tremendous amount about that in the last couple of years. Uh, Their primary solution today measures... Manages and ultimately will help optimize emissions for some of the largest ships in the world. He previously was part of a really interesting startup called AirMap, which was a commercial drone infrastructure company. At least that's how I would characterize it. And he's also been part of some significant government contractors like Talos and Raytheon. Also worked for the US Air Force in contracting. It's been an absolute pleasure for me to get to know. Jacob and join him on this journey with Sailplan early on uh, as we are an investor and have continued to reinvest as he's grown and this is a long overdue conversation for us to record as we have had many but not in a recorded version so Jacob thank you so much for joining <laughs> me on the podcast to uh, memorialize uh, our relationship
0: it has taken a while but thank you Carrie i'm, I'm
1: excited to to finally get this done absolutely Uh, I mean, the momentum that you are seeing with SailPlan, I characterize as just amazing, remarkable. Uh, I mean, it has been an absolute joy to watch this all unfold. And, you know, startups are never a, a straight line. But let's talk a bit about, you know, how you got here. Let's go back to the inception. You know, how did this thing get started at SailPlan?
0: It's a great question. We go back in time. I'll, I'll start the story actually at the beginning. My dad was a marine electrician, and so I grew up uh, right down here in South Florida, around the water, uh, spending time in the water. And when I wasn't spending time with my dad building boats on nights and weekends after school, I was you know scuba diving our reefs. Um, I was participating in beach cleanups. We would go fishing and surfing. Uh, so I was a consumer of the environment here. Through that, I noticed the changes occur. One is my heart really is with the sea. You know, it's it's my favorite place to be out on the ocean. I you know, I couldn't help but see the microplastics and the plastic pollution that are accumulating on our beaches. I saw the uh, devastating impact of trash piling up on the reefs. You can see the the lack of fish here. Like I was actually just out yesterday briefly uh, for a swim and there's no fish. The fish are gone. Um, you know, which it's overfished, the fish population is decimated. When you look back, you can see these changes forming all the way back to my childhood. And my love of the sea drove me to really want to be a part of the solution in this industry. Uh, my career path took me in a wildly different uh, place, though. I ended up going to work with the US Air Force and uh, alongside the emerging tech portion of the defense industry, really helping. Mary legacy thinking out of the US Air Force in space launch systems with cutting edge thinking with companies like SpaceX and the United Launch Alliance and several others. And I was hooked and I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit here, but I was spending time at AirMap and you know we had solid technology. We had this great high resolution real-time data system that enabled drones to share the air, airspace cooperatively and more densely yet we didn't have a strong policy environment supporting that. In fact, policy and and government were blocking uh, the growth of the drone industry. So I sort of set back to my roots here, and I said, you know, like where is an industry that that I care about that technology can make an impact, save money, save lives, uh, and also is supportive by a great macro environment? And really, maritime checks all those boxes, right? And it is the most uh, acute pain that ship operators are feeling around climate today. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, it goes right back to my roots, you know, building boats with my dad. And so, you know, SailPlan was a genesis because of the combination of those factors and, the, and, and what we see happening in climate tech today.
1: Great jumping off point. And, you know, I love the foundational story. I mean, it really helps showcase your why, And I talk a lot to founders about how important it is to to really be oriented to why. Why are you doing this? And I think with you, Jacob, it always comes through so real and authentic. And I think that absolutely has helped in your journey so far. So you went into an industry that is huge. Um, And in some respects, I know we've talked about this, at at, at times you look at some of these billion, multi-billion dollar companies that are actually kind of old boys club family businesses to some extent. You had some family background in it, but how did you initially go into this industry that you weren't necessarily in, you weren't an insider and, and get access and get acceptance from them?
0: Yeah. So I'm a complete outsider to the industry or started as one and, mm-hmm. and more so i have become an insider. Uh, you know, I used to say, and I know we talked about it. Um, that was the first big moat we had to climb is just to open the door. Right. Um, and it took boots on the ground, pounding the pavement. I just joked with my team that the last time we were at uh, the massive C trade contra- conference where I'm at now, attending again this year, all I did was wear a sale plan shirt and I had, you know, a thousand cards with me and I would talk with every single person. Uh, not only that, I cold called the CEO and everybody that could get at every shipping company uh, on my target list until somebody just listened and responded. And my success rate was horrible. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was horrible, but it worked, right? It was persistent, it was paying off. Um, people saw the passion. It was genuine. I was an outsider, but I acknowledged I was an outsider, which is a big piece of this. I wasn't trying to pretend that I had been an insider the whole time. Mm -hmm. I also equipped myself with people who were insiders. And actually that goes back to SailPlan's roots. We um, pride ourselves on on having one foot inside tech and one foot inside maritime. Mm -hmm. So um, when we build out our, uh, our, our teams, we always have an eye on, Not only um, uh, bringing uh, kind of the best minds in engineering uh, and ops and customer success, but also ensuring that we're bringing people from industry who not only can open up their networks and their doors, but can cross-pollinate ideas with each other. Mm -hmm. And their sale plan today has... Over 100 years, I believe, of experience within our team members in Maritime mm-hmm. across oil and gas and offshore operations, commercial shipping, crews and others. Um, and not only that, some of our uh, uh, advisors and our uh, consulting uh, team members are some of the biggest names in the industry who are now really living and breathing uh, the SailPlan brand. And that's been kind of that driver to penetrate these legacy industries for us um, from, from somebody who, while I have a passion for the water and grew up on boats, it's a, it's a far cry from working on ships. I, I think that's so instructive for other
1: entrepreneurs who are trying to go into a vertical market of some kind is to find that right balance between the outside disruptive thinking and the inside knowledge. Um, because you ultimately have to get things done. And sometimes it feels like we have to have totally outsider or yeah. totally insider. I think it is that balance that you've struck that has really been compelling and and probably a great lesson for other founders that are trying to do similar types of
0: change within a, a an existing market. It is, and you know, I'm glad you bring that up because you know, one of the biggest criticisms of Sale Plan when we were trying to raise. Uh, our first capital uh, was, well, you know, you're, you're not, you're you're not the right team. You're, 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 there's, there's maritime people here. And, you know, consistently, I have this very firmly held belief that that's actually the enabler. Like that mode was strong. Uh, uh, Pure tech companies bounce off this industry. Like nobody's business. They go, they, they're over before they start. And, you know, we had the foresight to say, it's yes, we have new ideas, but if they're so new and innovative and you can't speak the language and you can't build bridges with people who have done the work for years, uh, you'll never get anywhere. And I I think we've proven that's true. I totally agree. Well, let's go back to that, too. And, uh, you know, like when we
1: first met, Jacob, you know, I as I said earlier, like I didn't know much about the commercial maritime industry other than it's enormous and it seems like a, a not very technology enabled one. And I just remember you sharing all these things you were learning through these conversations along the way. And you know, when we first were compelled to get involved and to invest in you, you didn't have a commercial product in market yet. You didn't have contracts, you didn't have revenue, but somehow, we believed you were going to figure it out. And I think it was through a whole series of conversations and, and progress. But looking back on that from your perspective, what what do you feel like you did that created that confidence that we started to have and others started to have to,
0: to really get behind you and your team? I think um, we demonstrated that we... Knew enough about the industry that's more than a Google search uh, or, or these days, just, a, you know, a chat GPT. Um, <laughs> we spent time with customers. We really learned their pain points. And we didn't just take, uh, you know, our solution that we had in mind and mold it onto a, a problem to, you know, pretend we had product market fit. We build based on what we hear from our customers. Um, there's, a, there's a few data points and then there's the trend. And you can eventually see that signal in the noise. If you spend enough time with customers and just listen. Um, when we presented some new ideas to customers, you know, early on before they were actually paying customers, uh, they talked to us about their challenges and, you know, we thought we were going to go tackle safety Mm. and uh, vessel optimization generally, which sounds great when we're talking about it and thinking about it. But in their mind, efficiency is this ambiguous target that is just talked about in the industry, not really a, a key metric but needed to be more acute and more precise. And by spending co- time with customers, we eventually owned in on what they thought of when they thought of efficiency. Uh, efficiency. You know, I think, I think the other thing we've we established credibility on was we had a big vision, but we are making meaningful progress towards that vision, um, both in terms of customer conversations and, and starting to accelerate those customers toward commercial relationships and pilot relationships and all those things that start really early-stage startups do. Um, we had built, in my opinion, one of the, the most solid technical teams, very lean and efficient, but with a brain that was coming at this with a holistic set of experiences. Uh, our our head of engineering, Tony Galecki, um, who's still our head of engineering today, his uh, background spans all of the disciplines we need to pull sale plan off, which is, is a hard person to find. And so- mm-hmm. Um, my own spin on this is that there's some things we don't know. There's these unknowns and just sort of being open to with what we don't know and maybe what we think and project, but just this is where we're trying to go. This is where we think we'll go. I'm optimistic. And I I actually believe that optimism or I wouldn't be spending my time here. And I think maybe part of that rubbed off as well. I, I totally agree with that.
1: Uh, I think that learning aptitude and sharing what you were learning and and hearing from those conversations and not being wedded of to your point we're going to force fit our vision onto this industry and and die trying so that that gets me to this whole topic of emissions right when i introduced you earlier i said hey they're they're a emissions measurement and management company which really when you started was not the the driving ambition of sailplan. So let's go to how did that emerge? As as I think about it, the burning need for you to really establish high value relationships with some of the biggest operators of commercial fleets of ships in the world. So um,
0: how did you find that? So. When we approached the market, we approached it with a platform that can do many things, right? It's a, a, under the hood of SailPlan. It's a high resolution, real-time data feed from ships. Mm-hmm. Platforms need use cases. Uh, and so what our search was, was to find the right use case. And we had our intuition. Look, one of the the facts that still blows my mind, that still gets my heart, is that we lose a large ship on average once a week over 50 large commercial ships a year go down. It's the most dangerous industry in the world. And because it's not happening on land and we don't see it, we don't think about it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It carries 95% of goods. So we knew there was an opportunity for data, just as it's transformed the entirety of the rest of our world uh, to to penetrate maritime. We just had to find the right way in. Mm -hmm. And... The right way in wasn't through safety because in all honesty, ship operators are doing their best at making this safe and they have really good data systems around this. Uh, But constantly by listening to what the customer said, we saw each customer, every single customer at some point asked us, can the platform handle emissions? And at first as an outsider, I was like, what do you mean? Like, and and, and when we dove into it, I I found out and I learned that you may have built a hundred million dollars. Yeah, but it might not even have a fuel gauge on board, right? I mean, 90% of the ships out there, you still have to unscrew a a pipe and stick a, a measuring tape into the fuel tanks to understand how much fuel's on board today. So when we think of like data transformations, we're going from the stone age and bringing them forward. And so when I heard every customer mention emissions, I said, okay, there's a problem here. And our application and our, our platform can actually solve this problem. And that's what we convinced our first customer to take a chance on Sailplane with. And that was Harvey Gulf. And they said, look, everything you're telling me about what Sailplane can do with real-time cameras and thermal imaging and fuel consumption is great. I want to measure my real-world emissions. And I was like, well, don't you have a sensor for that? They're like, no. <laughs> I was like, Okay. I think we can do that. And we went and we found sensor providers, partners of sail plans. We integrated them with our high resolution platform and we presented the customer, um, you know, the first ship in the world with a real time emissions monitoring uh, capability. And that blew open the door because other people heard about it. And they said, we've been trying to do this. Um, what, like, how do we do this? How do we learn about it? What sensors do you use? And it's not just about in maritime getting sensors, right? Because the ships at sea, so you have to get the data into a platform uh, continuously, and we take that for granted. A ship may be unavailable at sea for over a month and a half. Mm. Um, it, it's not actionable if you have to wait two months to get data back. And so, Sailplane is actually the platform now that makes all this data gathering, and collection, analysis, and visualization stupid simple for customers. Uh, that's that's yeah, I guess I would say that's how we got into emissions. We just listened to what the customers said, and they said, go here. And uh, and we went there. For those of us who aren't as deep into
1: this industry, I guess the next question I just want you to, to memorialize is, why is this such a big issue for this industry, right? I mean, I would right.
0: say, at least in the conversation we've had, maybe the leading issue. It is. And when we started, Carrie, you know, emissions turned out to be a signal in the noise. And it was something ship operators were thinking about two and a half years ago. Um, By the time uh, last year when we did our Series A, it was was towards the top three. And today it is the singular defining issue for the industry. More focus is spent on emissions from shipping than any other issue uh, facing the operator. It is directly at the CEO level. And now let's unpack that for a second and see why. if you take the broad estimates for the industry, shipping accounts for between two and 3% of global carbon emissions, right? It's absolutely enormous for what it is. And tackling this problem is a little bit different than tackling cars. The life cycle of a ship can last 25 years, mm-hmm. right? So it's not that we can just simply electrify everything and be done tomorrow. So the ships we have with us, even the ships we're building in the next five years, are going to be here for the you know generations to come. So we have to handle what we have now, these legacy engines, burning fossil fuels, and we have to find ways to make them more efficient and then add data around that. And only high-resolution data can help you really solve these problems. If you don't have data feed and you don't have sensors providing data from chips, the best you got is garbage in, garbage out model. Mm. Now, go down a level from there, we, we understand the size of this problem, 2 to 3% of global emissions. The uh, IMO, who regulates international shipping, it's a part of the United Nations, has actually recently implemented um, new rules for ships that took effect this year, and more will take effect uh, later this year. The first is every ship in the world, uh, every large ship, now gets a letter grade based on its carbon performance, mm-hmm. And uh, so you may say, so what? They get a letter grade. Actually, charters are taking these letter grades into account. Passengers on cruise ships want to know what the letter grade of the ship is. So if you can show your customers that you're doing better than other ships, you have a competitive advantage in the charter market or for cruise ships in the passenger market, right? People want to do the right thing. And so people are competing shipping now based on carbon performance. And ships are expensive. They're laden with mortgages and financing. And the biggest banks in the world have signed on to the Poseidon principles, which say that the, um, the data from these, uh, these carbon report cards can be used in ship financing decisions. So you can actually have ratcheting mortgages now based on um, how well you're doing against this uh, report card. And you get renewed every year. And that score gets harder to meet every year for the next several years. So it means the number one issue defining them. And you know, I'll, I'll just say one more thing here is that later this year, direct carbon tax- taxation at scale becomes a reality for the shipping world. This puts you know commercial shipping uh, in focus because it's an existential threat to many ship operators. We're going to take the effectively take the cost of fuel from about $700 per ton up to $1,000 per Mm. ton. Consumers like you and I who buy a pair of Nikes are gonna be feeling this. So ship operators need to mitigate this. And SailPoint's technology actually helps them reduce their reportable CO2 and actually just optimize their operations. So not only can they reduce their actual um, CO2, but also improve their overall emissions footprint. Because while we talk a lot about CO2, what really matters is methane, right? Is um, a particulate matter, the stuff that comes out of the engines that we breathe in, uh, that makes it sick and causes cancer. It's CO2, it's nitrous oxides, It's the full gamut of, of, of harmful pollutants and greenhouse gases that come out of these engines. And Shellplan has a role to play in reducing all of those for our customers.
1: So clarifying, I'm sure for you too, as a founder to see this clear solution to a very tangible and economically clear problem that you're you're solving that that kind of you know it ripples all throughout uh the the world right as you said like it even will help normalize prices that that we pay for things that are moved about the it world will. so how is this reality of such a big clear issue that you're right in the middle of how has this changed the vision for the company you talked about you know the original platform idea you know how, how if any has it really changed your your vision
0: you know i think sale plan is still telling into the market the emissions uh you know we we solve a business problem for our customers right we save them money in their operations and that's fundamentally how we sell sale plan to ships we don't beat our customers over the head with a, a climate tech solution and tell them they need to save the world. Um, uh, we need shipping. It's an important part of the, uh, it, it's a fundamental part of our world. Um, so we go in with a business first mentality and we explain the business economics of how sale open sells to ship, but we're also supported by you know uh, the uh, the macro environment there, but that's our toe into the mar- larger market. We already have ship operators asking us for, Non-climate related data feeds from their ships, right? Um, on the on the passenger side, there's passenger metrics that we can gather uh, that help copper operators uh, improve passenger performance and and management on board the ship. We have water quality issues that can also be brought onto sail plan. Uh, we have positional and navigational data systems. We have machine learning algorithms that can run on cameras that can help operators. Uh, you know, catch uh, you know potential fires in the engine room mm. or equipment that's about to fail, um, all on the Sailplane platform. That's why we call it a platform because prior to Sailplane, you have to buy a bunch of vertical applications and solutions that don't integrate and talk with each other, right? So you might buy a camera system that looks at the, the temperature of your engine visually with a thermal solution but it never spoke with anything else. And now all of a sudden, and then you, um, you'd have to go to your voyage optimizer and your weather router, and you'd have all these different siloed solutions that really are great if they could talk with each other. And today, SailPlan's transforming that. So SailPlan's functionally an iPhone for a ship that happens to use emissions as the use case to go into that market, but is becoming the place where you can start running these as applications on top of SailPlan instead of having to divide them in silos. And so that opens up the door for just insane digitalization of the industry in a cost-effective, scalable way that just works uh, in the way we take for granted. And I think that was the blocker to software adoption in Maritime prior to, to, you know, to doing plan in the way we have. I think the market's ready for it. So I think you know, over the next several years, we're going to grow not only through Maritime um, into the data that we can collect and advise uh, and and only you know resell to improve ship transportation, but also I think there's a you know the idea that there's planes, trains, automobiles, buildings, mining, agriculture, and everything else that can sit on top and be enabled by our data feeds as well. That's a
1: big vision, my friend. I I love it, um, and I feel like you really have continued to clarify it. the The other part that I'd love to to delve into there and I think you've done something fairly unique, is you've spent time in the schools. You know, Maritime is an industry, uh, and there are others like this that have actual schools. They're they're training grounds where people who want to go work in this industry are. At your point earlier, historically, they have not been that software technology forward, and Talk about how the time spent with those schools has been meaningful to the company, but also just the industry overall
0: and how, how they think about SailPlan. It's been an, an enormous boost to SailPlan. Uh, you know, and actually, we, we go back to the, that first moat of, of credibility and penetrating a legacy industry. And one of our most solid partners has been Maine Maritime Academy. You know, they were an early believer in SailPlan, an early adopter of SailPlan's technology. For SailPlan, our partnership strikes a couple of chords. The first is you don't want to be innovating on a ship. Like you don't want to be actually deploying beta software and calling it production level software and potentially causing major problems on board your customers' ships. Uh, And so so SailPlan deployed at Maine Maritime Academy allows us a safe place that's still operational to, to test. And there's human factors components, right? So you have this built-in student population who's just dying for technology that's modern and like we used every day, like we're using here and just Mm -hmm. doesn't exist. They're ready to eat this up. They're going to be faced with it. Maine Maritime Academy's president recently said that maritime is going through its second major uh, crisis in the world. The first was World War II where we needed to spin up mariners for sea lift operations to support Mm -hmm. the war effort, which really created the the Maritime Academy system. And uh, since then, it's sort of been in stasis. And now we see the second um, crisis uh, happening. And it is the biggest challenge that's ever faced the community. It's the the combination of digitalization and emissions reduction or decarbonization. It's not a point in time. This will be with us in his eyes over the next 30 years. So it's not just getting our hands our software in the hands of future mariners um you know privately we're building preferences there we're building comfort there we're testing our software with the next generation we're getting important feedback mechanisms and loops we're teaching them how to deal with these new technologies you know we take for granted that we're talking about emissions but you got to remember there's no screen on a ship that tells you about your emissions Mm -hmm. there's not even a fuel gauge or a fuel meter on most ships today so This is brand new data learning how to deal with the data and what to do with it. Who should it go to? How does a chief engineer respond to it? You know, the student community at Maine Maritime has been phenomenal as is the the faculty and staff there and supporting us. And then finally, I would say that this partnership really adds to our credibility, right? So not only are we able to test and get valuable information back, but Maine Maritime Academy is a solid technology partner to position themselves as a leader. Uh, and together, we're approaching the industry with new ideas uh, that are vetted by you know, industry veterans there. So I, I think it's been a, a very smart way to start going to the market early and to learn valuable le- valuable lessons uh, out of those relationships. Totally agree. And
1: and thank you for, for sharing that. So last thing I want to talk about on SailPlan, then I want to spend the last... Time we have together talking about you. We're a quarter into the year; seems like it's been a year already. I'm sure for nice. you, and and I would uh, agree as well. What do you have on on the roadmap for sale plan this year for the next three quarters that you're you're most excited about?
0: Oh, it's hard to choose. It <laughs> really is. Uh, you know, from one lens, we can uh, look at just the sheer growth that I expect mm-hmm. us. Uh, you know, last year we grew 10x and uh, I think this year could be another 10x year for mm-hmm. us. Um, which is when you think about sale plans growth, it's not a traditional SaaS curve. It really is a set of increasingly large stair steps mm-hmm. that just jump on top of each other. And so, so that's one lens of excitement that I'm I'm really excited for because it is a challenge, you know, to go from 10 to 100 in, in a year. Uh, and sale plans on the cusp of of making that happen. That means new team members, new team organization, new organizational structure, new partners, new delivery pipelines, uh, new software backends. you know, we didn't build the scale to a thousand ships just yet. We built the scale for our first 20 or 30, mm-hmm. and now we're having to, you know, uh, get rid of eventual technical debt so that you can unlock that future growth. That's an exciting challenge on its own, organizational building. Um, I think that going back to some of our early partners like yourselves, and others for lessons as we do that is another exciting piece of this. Mm-hmm. This is new, right? There was the, the seed stage and then the A stage and now our growth stage, um, each one presenting like new skills, testing me and my leadership and my team to new uh, capabilities. Looking back, you know, I joke that there's, you know, I don't joke, but I, I often cite the broken road. You sort of look back and you say, wow, this all makes sense. I can't believe we've gotten here and how the path looked, it's, it's not a straight line. Um, I think looking forward to get more of that to come. Uh, I'm also finally excited about new um, new new segments for SailPlan. plan. Uh, you know I think I think Cruz is on tap this year. Mm-hmm. And cruises is a special segment. It's by far not the biggest, but I tell you, very few people know some of the billion dollar uh, names that we're working with because they're just not household names. But in the cruise industry, we know these names. These are mm-hmm. household names, right? Mm-hmm. People, consumers take cruises. investors take cruise. Um, our, our partners take cruises. And so these are big visible brands that SailPlan's aligning its partner. It's our brand with, and I'm very excited for that. Plus the fact that we could finally get our data back into passenger's hand. Mm-hmm. You know, now through SailPlan's data, I, I talked with some of our cruise partners about enabling apps to show customers Not just what you burned or what did you generate? but What did you save? Let's Mm -hmm. show a customer that by taking this ship, they've actually reduced their emissions versus taking another ship. And that's a fundamentally different way of thinking about emissions and cruising. You know, while I can talk about the other segments, I'm excited about that. And I think the final thing I'd mention here, if there's three good things come in three sometimes. So uh, we recently expanded to Europe um, in Q4 of last year. Uh, we dipped our toe in the water and we're pouring fuel on the fire in Europe because it's been great. We have great partnerships out there, great leadership out there, and we're gonna be reinvesting in that leadership to continue you know, to continue our growth there. So a lot to look forward to this year. Absolutely.
1: Well, I think th- this is a great place to transition to, to you as founder, as leader. Um, you're you're on this journey. And uh, it's just so I always enjoy our conversations because you are so introspective and open and frankly humble about uh, the this experience and, and what you're doing. And and I think it just makes that it that much more enjoyable and fun to be a, a partner with you like we are. So you you kicked this thing off before the pandemic started. <laughs> What is the last three years? I mean, we're at that kind of three years. It's amazing. Uh, The world is different. How we think is different. What have these last three years really taught you about building a a startup?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, have a great support network is one of those things that a lot of people say it. And I think a lot of people mean it. I know when I say it, it comes directly from the heart that I'm so glad I've done this. It's been a wild ride in directions I've never anticipated possible, mm. but I couldn't actually do it alone. The, the support network I have, both in the investors that I have who support us and offer insights that are really useful. They open up networks to uh, people that I never would have been able to connect with. And you can play that you know phone tag game through the network and get in touch with anybody um, uh, through networks. Uh, going down to my wife and my family mm. who... <laughs> I remember the first conversation with my wife about starting sale plan. You know, I had told her, um, hey, listen, I know we just moved into a new house five days ago, uh, but, and we, you know, the, the, the paint's not dry and the kitchen's a mess, but I'd like to quit my job and start this company called sale plan. And mm-hmm. I've sort of been working on it quietly for the past couple of months and surprise. And, uh, you know, having her not say no, you know, her, her response was, you know, it's just a house. So um, let's do it. Like, I'd rather you not look back and say, I wish I did. Uh, You know, and then taking the personal sacrifice of bootstrapping, you know, I think, uh, you know, we, we pulled out every piece of cash we could to fund Mm -hmm. the first year's runway there. And that was an important part of this too, right? Because like that sweat equity, but that was like, this was scary equity. This was, sell the car. And if it doesn't work, we're going to have to find a new place to live mm-hmm. here. How do I tell the kids? Um, it's a good driving force to make this work as well. Um, since then, you know, we've obviously grown, but you, you talked about the pandemic, being able to pivot quickly and, and respond without overreacting. And, and I cite the, the pandemic, it was, it was, you know, it started sort of as we were starting sale plan, right after i quit the job and, and done this and said, all right, we're, we're in this, you know, I find out that um, we now have this potentially existential problem on our hands. And I'm like, well, this isn't good, but you know, rather than overreacting you sit back and you analyze the situation and turns out from sale plans perspective, it lowered our transaction costs. I don't know that we could have done sale plan without the pandemic Mm. in the way we did, because I could zoom anybody in the world. Mm-hmm. I could get on and all of a sudden that was customary. Now in the legacy industry, it wasn't. So my transaction costs went to the, through the floor, I was able to do 10 meetings a day instead of one a week. And so, um, all of a sudden we were able to go faster. We were able to think differently. And I think that actually was one of the, the reasons we succeeded so early on, um, uh, instead of being kind of stymied by this, uh, this challenge, I think, constantly looking at uh, the support network, leaning on people for new ideas, learning, looking to our customers, and um, and finally trying to seize opportunities where people see problems um, or challenges has just been one of our core strengths in doing that. Such great insights.
1: Couple last questions. So, for you as a entrepreneur, technologist, leader, how do you continue to keep yourself sharp?
0: I talk to folks like you, uh, you know, I, I do. Um, I, I think there's, there's a lot of smart people out there um, finding time to engage with people who have seen different experiences, you know, and I, I don't say that facetiously, you know, um, there's a small subset of our investors and our partners who I talk with routinely. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just a random investor update. It's a, like, we have conversations all the time, the good, the bad, the challenging. Um, and through those experiences, you know, it's more signal in the noise. You start to hear, I've seen that, I've had this happen. It's not you should do, but it's a think about it like this. Um, and so, you know, that's a really empowering, like it's a, it's a superpower to be able to tap that network in those, those experiences. And I, I really mean it as a strategic application the recurring conversations, the recurring outreach is way more important in my opinion than the tactical, hey, I need an extra hire here, or what have you done in this? Um, Those are helpful for pinpoint, but they're not going to ever act as a superpower for you. And so I think that's how I would differentiate that. And I think that's one of the, the by far, one of the things that I do to keep sharp is I get the ability to pull on experiences from those in my network. um, and, And then you know, I just have my wife and family to keep me grounded on some mm-hmm. of these things. And, you know, sometimes I go back and and my wife I think that still makes no sense. Um, but like, keep working on it, and uh, and that's really a good because investors, I think, are optimistic. You are, you have to be in order to you know put your faith in entrepreneurs. So having somebody who's always that and having somebody grounded to say. Maybe, but have you thought about these other ways of thinking about it helps you strike the balance there. Um, and I, I think that's been a, a good use of um, knowledge for me. Well, thank you. Uh, I've got one last question,
1: Jacob. I, I often use this as my last one. Um, amazing entrepreneurial journey that you're on. Uh, I have a lot of early and even aspiring founders who listen to this what what advice would you have for them now as far as starting on an entrepreneurial journey? You know, is this the time? Should they be waiting? Um, you know, what what
0: advice would you have? The, um, I, I don't think it's about a time issue. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if we talked a year ago, capital was really easy to raise. And mm-hmm. uh, now it's much harder to raise even when things are going great. Uh, but nonetheless, I don't think that should be the driving force. I think if there's um, passion and the, the factors that support your business are there, then it's time to start your business. Um, go do it, whether it's a business or a project or, uh, or some other thing, like look at the situation. Don't let some abstract timing uh, decide your fate here. You know, a lot of people can overanalyze this and wait, and you may miss your opportunity and you never get it back, right? Uh, you know, uh, you only get one chance. So this is your chance uh, uh, to perform the um, and so that's the way I would look at it, and I'd mm-hmm. recommend people people look at it like go. There's very little that you will actually lose in in trying, but you will gain so much even through failure that um, I I don't think failure is really an option or a possibility as long as you put your mind to it and you put your heart to it and you you don't stop trying. Amazing, Jacob. Thank you.
1: So much, thanks for joining me. thanks for allowing us to be part of sale plan with you and thank you for the the friendship that we've built through this. and I just always enjoy your optimism and your heart and your your authenticity as a founder and a leader. Uh, I couldn't be more excited for for what the future holds for sale plan and uh, look forward to being able to participate and share it with others as well.
0: Awesome, Carrie. I, I appreciate it as well. And come back down to Florida for me. We'll uh, have some fun together. Sounds good. Thanks, Carrie.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.